Genesis is the foundation for the gospel. The creation account is supported by mountains of scientific evidence, and we'll tell you about it. This week, we're continuing to outline the importance of Genesis to Christianity on Creation Magazine Live. Welcome to another audio podcast from your friends at CMI. Faith-building evidences for the accuracy of the Bible are coming right up. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. I'm Thomas Bailey. And I'm Richard Fangrad. Last week, we explained why the creation-evolution debate is not a debate between science and religion. Right. Rather, it's a battle between two different beliefs about history, Mm -hmm. two different versions about what happened in the past to get us all here today. But we can take that a step further. Not only do science and the Bible not contradict each other, modern mm-hmm. science has a biblical basis. Absolutely. In other words, doing science mm-hmm. consistently requires the universe to have the features described in Scripture. Of course, that's, that's not what atheists yeah. think, obviously. <laughs> uh, atheist blogger P.Z. Meyer said that, Science and religion are incompatible, simply, completely, irreconcilably incompatible. I wonder what he thinks was going on in the heads of the founders of modern science, because they didn't think that. (laughs) They they didn't, no. no. (laughs) Many branches of science were founded by people who believe in creation. Right. You can see a small sample here. There are some famous names in the fields of physics, chemistry, biology, geology, astronomy, mathematics, and others. There are underlying assumptions required in order to do science consistently. For example that the universe is real. Right. Now that might might sound silly, but <laughs> some religions believe that the universe is an illusion. It's not real. That that it's it's just the big thought, right? The universe is real because the Bible makes it clear that God, who is spirit, created a physical heavens and earth. You also have to believe that the universe is orderly, not random or chaotic. If the universe is just a great thought, well, it might change its mind at any moment. <laughs> right. Or if Zeus and his gang were in charge, or if those gods are constantly warring amongst themselves, well, there'd be no basis for the assumption that their universe is orderly. Right. Hebrews 13.8 describes God as the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a good basis for the assumption that the universe he created will operate according to fixed laws that he put in place that don't change. Right. Assuming the physical universe exists and is ordered, The next assumption is that the universe is ordered in such a way that it can be understood by humans through investigation and experimentation. If the universe just popped into existence all by itself, on what basis could we expect it to be ordered and ordered in such a way that humans can perceive the order? It's another assumption you have to make in order to do science. Yeah, and historians of science point out that modern science first flourished under a Christian worldview while it was, it was still born in other cultures like ancient Greece and China and Arabia, evolutionary anthropologist and science writer Lawrence Isley stated that the philosophy of experimental science began its discoveries and made use of its methods in the faith, not the knowledge that it was dealing with a rational universe controlled by a creator who did not act upon whim nor interfere with the forces he had set in operation. It is surely one of the curious paradoxes, he writes here, it's kind of funny, uh, of history, (laughs) that science, which professionally has little to do with faith, owes its origins to an act of faith that the universe can be rationally interpreted and that science today is sustained by that assumption. Wow. 
So here's an evolutionist who recognizes the biblical basis for modern science. Yeah. No, science does not contradict Christianity. Christianity and science are actually closely linked. Yes. Now, last week, we also mentioned the biblical teaching that there's no death before sin and how critical that is to the gospel. Uh, physical death was first introduced into the world that God described as very good as a result of Adam's sin. There's a link between sin and death, and that was established back there in Eden at the time of the very first sin. Then we asked the question, where do the fossils fit into biblical history? Right. Fossils are obviously dead things, so the fossil record must have been established after sin. But the history most often applied to them says they were laid down slowly over millions of years. Mm -hmm. If that's true, then this is the picture that results, because Eden was just a few thousand years ago. And we outlined the biblical reasons and, and a few scientific ones why that doesn't work. Death before sin actually destroys the theology of Christianity. Most Christians are aware of this basic gospel truth. Jesus died to pay for sins. Right. Physical death is the penalty for sin. Romans 5 says that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned, God said in Genesis 3.19 that he would return to dust. He would die physically. Right, and beginning at verse 17, up a couple of verses, we read that God cursed the ground so that mm -hmm. it would produce thorns and thistles and would now require the sweat of your face. Mm -hmm. It would require hard work to get food from the ground. Now, let's consider thorns specifically. Since there are fossil thorns, they couldn't have been fossilized before sin, right? Good but point. the evolutionary history places them at hundreds of millions of years before any human being. That's backwards. That's right. In addition, Romans 8, 19, and 20 tells us the whole creation. In other words, the whole entire physical creation groans under the weight of sin. That means animals were affected. Genesis 1, 29, and 30 reveals that initially both people and animals ate plants. Now, this is consistent with the no death before sin principle. There was no death of nefesh kaya creatures, which include both people and animals before sin. Now, nefesh kaya is a Hebrew, a Hebrew word, Hebrew phrase for living being or living soul. We see it where God breathes into Adam in Genesis 2-7. He becomes a nefesh kaya, living being, living soul. The same term is used in 1 Corinthians 15-45, again to describe Adam. Here are several places where it is used in Genesis. Note that animals in the sea and on land are described with the same term. They have this level of life, but plants are not included. In the Bible, plants wither and fade. They don't really die because they're not really alive in the nefesh sense. Yeah. Other passages also shed valuable light on how the Bible defines life. Uh, Leviticus 17.11, for example, states that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And also, you see that mentioned in Deuteronomy 12.23 and in Genesis 9.4. The word translated life there is nefesh. And this links life with the presence of blood. There's another detail. Blood is an indicator of life in the nefesh sense. Right. And this logically connects with the way in which blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. Death is the penalty for sin, so something has to die in order to atone for people's sin. Before Christ, God allowed that animals, specifically certain mammals and birds, could die or shed their blood as a sacrifice for sin. Yeah, now this, this covered sin only in a, in a limited and temporary mm -hmm. basis, of course. 
Only the blood of the Messiah shed on the cross could actually take away sin, as explained in Hebrews 9 and 10. One of the reasons that Cain's sacrifice of plants wasn't accepted is because it, that's something without blood. It's not alive in the nephesh sense, and so couldn't die as a substitute for human sin. All that to say that a biblically consistent picture of the world God describes as very good before Adam sinned could not have included animals ripping each other up or poisonous fangs, etc. In other words, no carnivorous activity, no death of nephesh creatures, including both animals and people before Adam sinned. Yeah, but plants... Insects, the, the, the billions of bacteria, for example, that die in the process of digesting your food, those things aren't included in the no death before sin principle. Putting it all together, if there was death of nefesh creatures happening for millions of years before the fall, as evolutionary history says there was, then death is not the result of sin. Right. It has nothing to do with sin, and therefore Jesus' death did not pay for sins. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've got an either-or situation yeah. here, right? It's either the fossil record took millions of years to form or Christianity. <laughs> now, for those of you who are freaking out about having to abandon the millions of years of history, thinking that it's a proven scientific fact, we're going to show you in the, the, the solution to that next week and in the week after. But before we move on, we've been talking about death. All of yeah. us sin, and the Bible says because of that, we will die and face judgment by a holy God. Everyone fails to meet God's perfect standard. Mm -hmm. No one gets into heaven through their own goodness because no one is as good as God. Okay, so how does anyone get into heaven? By belief and repentance. The Bible tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. You need to believe that his death and resurrection, not your own works, are the basis for forgiveness of your sins. And the repentance part is making him Lord over your life. Repentance means turning away from a lifestyle of sin and following your own opinion and turning toward a lifestyle of placing the truths about God above your own ideas. He's Lord, so that makes us the servants. Right, yeah. And that's not too hard to grasp, is it? That's no. pretty basic. Turn to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us a glimpse of some of the details of what goes on there. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so he made him, that's God the Father made God the Son, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus committed no sins of his own, yet God transfers sins to him and transfers Jesus' sinless life to us. That's how all those who believe get to heaven. Amen. Christ pays for our sins in our place so yes. that we don't have to. Right. And his righteousness is imputed to us. There's an exchange, a, a double transfer. Yep. Do you believe that? We hope you do. It's the most important truth that everyone should consider. Yeah. Jesus invites you to trust him. But all that falls to pieces if there was death before sin. Right. Yeah. And as we said last week, this is not a side issue. <laughs> Theologically, what you believe about creation, evolution, and the age of the earth impacts the main teaching of Christianity. Now, we could make a distinction here that this may not be a salvation issue, but it is a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, how we understand Genesis, the age of the earth, and the origins debate dramatically impacts the gospel because the gospel actually begins in Genesis. That's right, yeah, but there are people who are truly Christians 
but mm. believe in evolution in millions of years. Now, that's hugely inconsistent, but having a biblical view of creation is not a requirement for coming to Christ, is it? Right. New Christians quite often have many areas of inconsistency, things they, they don't fully understand, right. yeah. but that doesn't mean they're not Christians. Yeah, now here's the key to not only making sense of the origins issue, the origins debate, but in developing and living a consistent Christian worldview, glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. The key is, put God's Word first. Right. Hold your own personal views on any topic loosely. Be ready to drop them immediately when you encounter something in God's Word that contradicts what you think. It, it's about biblical authority. That's what it boils down to, a high view of Scripture. Right. Now, the great English preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, made this astounding comment about the authority of the Bible. There can be no doubt whatsoever that all the troubles in the church today and most of the troubles in the world are due to a departure from the authority of the Bible. Yeah. Just let that sink in for a minute. All the troubles in the church and most of the troubles in the world result from a lack of putting God's Word first. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The Reformation in the 1500s was all about the massive impact that a return to biblical authority had on the church. It was scripture that reformed the church. Right. People often want to, they want to attack the messenger, mm -hmm. right? And we get that too yeah. at CMI. They attack Martin Luther, attack John Calvin. The, the Roman church, which was so tangled up with the political powers at the time, brutally attacked and killed many people who held to the view that scripture not church councils and not the Pope. Scripture is the highest authority. To some extent, that's still true today, isn't it? Yeah. In some countries, Christians are being executed. But even in most Western nations, if you take a stand for biblical truth, you'll be ridiculed. Yes. <laughs> now, a side effect of the Reformation is also the profound effect that it had on science. Yes, Stephen Snobelin, he's, he's assistant professor of history of science and technology at University of King's College in Halifax, Canada. He calls it a paradox. Another paradox. And, yeah, and, and, and also, he also explains the somewhat misleading term literal interpretation. He writes, here is a final paradox. Recent work on early modern science has demonstrated a direct and positive, he says, relationship between the resurgence of the Hebraic literal exegesis of the Bible in the Protestant Reformation and the rise of the empirical method in modern science. He's making a connection here. I'm not referring to wooden literalism, but the sophisticated literal historical hermeneutics that Martin Luther and others, including Newton, championed. And he goes on to explain the link. It's because scientists started to study nature in the same way they studied the Bible. Right. The idea with scripture was, just let the Bible speak. Don't impose allegory or metaphor on the text. Just take it straightforwardly. Mm -hmm. He writes, it was in part when this method was transferred to science, when students of nature moved on from studying nature as symbols, allegories, and metaphors to observing nature directly in an inductive and empirical way that modern science was born. In this, Newton also played a pivotal role. Hmm. As strange as it may sound, science will forever be in the debt of, get this, Biblical literalists. That's, it. That's a quote. <laughs> so, I mean, even non-Christian historians of science recognize the value that taking the Bible as it's written, in other words, literally, has had on science. Yeah, and if you take it as it's written, if you take it literally in the, in the proper grammatical historical sense, right. 
you right. get a recent creation with no death before sin <laughs> and a global flood. That's right. Another aspect of the origins debate is how beliefs about where we came from impact morality. Mm. Now, yeah. Think about it. If you believe that you evolved over millions of years from pond scum, rather than having been created in the image of God, it's going to impact how you feel about yourself and, and many other things That's in life. Right. Evolutionist Dr. William Provine actually put it this way. He said, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposeful forces of any kind, no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I'm going to be completely dead. That's just all. That's going to be the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life. Yikes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What sort of morality can it lead to? Well, well, here's an extreme example, but it's consistent with a no-God version of origins right. like, like uh, Dr. Provine just described here. Jeffrey Dahmer. Some of you will know that name. He was a serial killer in, in, in the 90s. He killed a bunch of people. Some of them, he cut them up and ate them. He was into other things as well. Uh, he was interviewed while in prison not long before he himself was killed. And it's clear that he began to recognize the link, the connection between evolution, between what you believe about where you came from, in his case, he believed evolution, and the link to the terrible things that he did. In the interview, he had this to say. If a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believed the theory of evolution as truth, that we all just came from the slime, and when we died, you know, that was it, nothing. If we're not made in the image of God, but evolved over millions of years, then there's, there's no ultimate right and wrong. Yeah. It's just all opinion. That's right. It's amazing the atrocities that an evolutionary atheistic society can produce. Yes. Despite what you may have heard, theistic religions account for only about 7% of all wars. Yeah. And that percentage drops to 3% if Islam is removed. Many more people were killed in just the past hundred years, most by their own governments, than in all the religious conflicts ever. Yes. And this slaughter happened because of philosophies openly hostile to biblical Christianity and flowing directly from evolutionary belief. Yeah, yeah. One example is Nazism. It, it openly proclaimed its dependence on Darwin. Yeah. It was right and moral for the strongest race to survive. The strong wipes out the weak. The law of the jungle, right? Uh, yeah. Might makes right. To have pity on the weak was to defy nature's laws. Right. And communism also took evolution to its logical conclusion. If everything just evolved from natural law, then man's opinion, not God's word, determines what's right and wrong. Yeah. So if the working class can take power by armed struggle, then, then that is right, regardless of how many have to die in order to bring about that socialist paradise. Communist, communism's death toll far outranks even the Nazis, probably by more than 90 million worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, humans were made in the image of a loving Amen. God to have fellowship with Him. But what, what a difference that makes, right? Right and wrong is ultimately determined by God, not the government. The yes. government can make things legal or illegal, but just because something's legal doesn't always mean that it's right. right. For example, killing preborn children is still murder, even though it may be legal. 
So the creation evolution issue is not just about origins. It's really the key to which source of authority will be seen as foundational in human affairs. God through his revealed word or man's opinion. Yes, but I mean, creation is just so obvious. The earth was designed for life. It orbits yeah, the sun at just the right distance. It's in that, that Goldilocks zone, right. right? Where liquid water can exist. The earth's gravity, the axial tilt, the rotation period, the magnetic field, the, the, the crustal thickness, the, the oxygen-nitrogen mm. ratio, the carbon dioxide, water vapor, ozone levels, they're all just right. Change them slightly and life would be impossible. Yeah. And our sun is just the right color. If it was redder or bluer, photosynthetic response would be weaker. Mm. Our moon is just large enough and close enough to partially protect the Earth from meteorites, comets, and asteroids. Every crater that's on the moon's surface represents an object which might otherwise have impacted the Earth. The search for extraterrestrial intelligence. for, For many years, they've been scanning the heavens with radio telescopes, hoping to discover a signal containing coded information, which then means that there's something intelligent that made it. Makes sense. That they haven't found any. Uh, but if you, let, let's, let's go the other direction. Not telescopes, but microscopes. There are huge amounts of coded information in the DNA right. of living things. But evolutionist logic breaks down here because yes. DNA is supposed to be the result of mindless random processes, not that's an intelligent designer. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, that's what we're told. A denial is not just a river in Egypt anymore, right? Yeah. Look, there, there are companies working toward, right now, a method of storing data in the nucleotide bases of DNA. If, if, if that works, that will be the highest density storage scheme ever invented. Follow, follow the logic through here, right? right. DNA stores information. Information comes only from intelligence. God created the universe and life. The end. There it is. (laughs) The evidence for creation is all around us. Consider that the universe is something, right? A very big something. Science (laughs) says that something cannot come from nothing. Therefore, something has to be eternal. Right. But the physical matter-energy universe that we're in can't be eternal because if it was, according to the law of decay, the universe would already have reached maximum decay. Okay, but the, it hasn't. And the solution is? Something that's not physical, that's not made of matter or energy, and therefore isn't subject to the law of decay, must be eternal and be capable of producing the whole universe. Right. And the biblical creator God is spirit, not made of matter and energy. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> I love being a Christian, right? The laws of physics confirm the biblical God. Yeah. It makes so much sense. It certainly does. Uh, Christianity is a faith, yes, but it's a reasonable and logical faith, not yes. an irrational or blind faith. Right. The teachings of Christianity arise from actual historical events. Right. A creation that was originally very good. Uh, a real historical Adam and Eve who actually sinned at a point in history about 6,000 years ago a real historical worldwide flood about 4,400 years ago, and the real historical event of God taking on a real human body about Mm. 2,000 years ago, living a sinless life, dying on a real wooden cross, and then actually physically coming back to life. A student wrote this, I have been so immensely blessed by you all. You have helped me dispel some major lies of the enemy and teach my children the pitfalls in evolution. My faith is more sound and secure in Jesus because he uses you in such a mighty way. Wonderful. But isn't it, it, 
isn't that humbling to get this, this kind of feedback yeah. and, and know that God is using the faith-building information that we summarize to change lives? That's right. It, it really is. I mean, we, we saw the change earlier in Jeffrey Dahmer's life. Uh, he actually became a Christian after he got some hold of some creation material, Yeah. realized yeah. there is a God, and, and heard the gospel and, and became a believer. What a testimony. It's, a, it's amazing. It, it really is. And, and we should emphasize that we're just summarizing. Yes. Right? To get the details, you really need to visit creation.com. Now, we'll see you next week. And remember, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And science supports Scripture. Today's episode was originally formatted for broadcast TV and is available online at the links in the podcast show notes. Both are produced by Creation Ministries International, publishers of Creation Magazine. For more information for the accuracy of the Bible, visit creation.com. You can also donate to the ministry at creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.